Welcome to the Jim and Mickey show. Yes, we still do this show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And you can probably describe this as the going stir-crazy edition of the Jim and Mickey show. It is <laughs> February. March is knocking at the door, but not quite here. It's almost the end of winter. People are getting vaccinated. Life is slowly inching its way back to normal. But Mickey, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm ready to go out and start enjoying life again. Uh, I, I love you, Netflix, but I feel like I'm getting tired of this. I'm over all of it, as you know. Um, I've been over it for quite some time. And now I feel like the rest of the world is starting to catch up with me. So that's fantastic. Um, as you know, I feel like many lived in the anxiety world <laughs> that I live in all the time throughout this pandemic. And now I feel like people are starting to really appreciate spring like I do. And uh, I find myself, uh, one, thank you all for <laughs> joining us today, because as Jim said so eloquently, yes, we still do this show. Um, and so we've been terrible about being about doing it consistently. We know this. So we certainly appreciate those of you who have tuned in to hear it um, this time around. Now, having said that, Jim, dude, I got to tell you, like in addition to the pandemic sucking out loud, um, and all of the rules and regulations, like this has just been a god awful winter as well. And now I realize I'm an actual old person, but <laughs> I don't know if it's truly because I'm an old person or if it's like this is just what happens to old people when they don't go anywhere and do anything. Because now, of course, you know, everyone's checking the weather all the time. I don't know why we're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything. Like we're going to be in the house anyway. But what I do realize is that I value the time that I'm able to be outside. You know, Shiloh's walks are a little bit longer when it's warm and might sit out on the deck and do some meeting work, um, you know, things of that nature. And it, it's been miserable. It, and it hasn't even been snowy here in, in the northeast, in Virginia, where we are. It's It's been rain and ice and we can't even build a snowman with this crap, like, it's just been awful. And it's been really, truly like one of the longest Februaries in the history of February. And yet at yeah. the same time has lasted like three minutes. Yeah. For much of the early months of the pandemic, the joke was this is the 232nd day of June. Right. Uh, because life seemed to be an endless cycle of the same thing over and over again. We are you're up in I'm a little bit north of you. We've got enough dustings. There was one day where the kids got to go out and really enjoy sledding. But yeah, you know, February is traditionally, I'd argue, weather-wise and just psychologically-wise, one of the more miserable months in the calendar, other than my younger son's birthday. Yes, Valentine's Day, we go back in the archives, you and I can talk about how it's like one of the two worst days to go to uh, restaurants. <laughs> Anywhere, like do anything. <laughs> that's if you can go to a restaurant, but obviously they have diminished capacity these days. Look, usually in, in mid to late winter, if you want to go out and you want to you go to the movies, you know, may or may not want to do that. You go to a shopping mall, you may not want to be indoors. Uh, you go to a basketball or hockey game, well, you don't necessarily have, you know, diminished capacity or they may not let you into that. You know, all those ways we traditionally enjoy ourselves in winter have kind of been closed off to us by pandemic stuff. So it's been everybody, you know, the, the, it's been Netflix and chill. For Except for it's really months. turned into Netflix and gone completely crazy. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we, and I say this jokingly and non-jokingly, but we, we have a definite mental health crisis in this country, and that is 100% seriously. Mm. But on, on the backside of this, like, 
legitimately, I don't care how sane and stable that you are. We're rolling up into year one of, you know, what was it? Two weeks to slow the spread, 15 days to slow the spread. Um, And, and, you know, and again, so I, I think it's normal for people to start to lose their mind a little bit. And I think it's okay. And I think that it's, I think if you're listening to this, I want you to know that it is absolutely normal to not be okay with all of this. Like, because I think it's weird that people are all like having this very like, oh, you know, I've adjusted, I've adapted. I've told you about those people who made bread. Like, I want an update on them now. Um, and all those people who are like singing and dancing over the summer, like, I'm just curious if they're still so, you know, joyous since they've been spending so much more time together. I'm just curious about that. Um, but you know, and and again, the vaccination is coming, something really looking forward to that. But one of the big things we have done is, I, I don't know about you, but in many ways, I feel like I have watched everything there is to stream in the world. Pretty much. I, I'm ready to go back to seeing movies in theaters. Um, and obviously that'll be a combination of what does the local health department say is okay, my access to the vaccination and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I think we've done all the streaming. Marvel has held back uh, Black Widow and most of the big movies have been uh, held out. A lot of people said Wonder Woman 84 was like in, in a very strange way. Warner Brothers was very lucky to let that to release that on streaming. Mm-hmm. Because if it had, you know, the word and mouth on that would have been terrible because it was generally pretty darn bad. Um, uh, yes, that was horrible. That you know, in fact, I I have the streaming service that provides that, and I could get it for free, and chose not to watch it uh, because like, I had gotten so many bad reviews on it from so many people. Yeah, and you know, I gotta say, to have a movie with Gal Gadot playing Wonder Woman, and for it to not be good, that takes effort. Right. I mean, you, you just have Gal Gadot read the phone book and you'd still have a pretty entertaining 90 minutes or so. But uh, in fact, I'm pretty yeah, sure I was genuinely surprised as well for a long stretch. It felt like so. <laughs> well, and going along with that, um, it, it's kind of interesting because they also just recently re- released a movie with Denzel Washington and Jared Leto that I was very much looking forward to um, called Little Things. And they released it um, as well in in, the, in theaters and the streaming, kind of as they did the Wonder Woman thing. And I've got to tell you, I don't know the last time I was so disappointed in a movie. Mm. The trailer looked great. Um, Denzel Washington, kind of rugged cop, searching for a serial killer. Uh, I think it was Rami Malek is in it. Um, and again, Jared Leto. And somehow... They wrote no script for it. Mm. There didn't seem to be a plan. They got all of these great actors together, created some pretty solid characters, and then didn't bother to write a script around them. It was epically disappointing. You know, it's interesting. Okay, interesting you're describing that and that dynamic because this, you know, very different demographic. But uh, a couple nights ago, the family and I watched a made-for-Disney Plus uh, movie called mm-hmm. Flora and Ulysses, which is about a squirrel superhero. Okay. And you're probably, you know, it's like, you know, why is Jim talking about this? The entire cast of Flora and Ulysses was kind of a uh, 90s sitcom um, get to, you know, reunion, okay? 
you had um, let me go down the list here of the cast. And this this was kind of highly touted and all stuff. Allison Hannigan, who played Willow on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and she played was it Lily on How I Met Your Mother? I didn't watch that show, but I know she was on it. Okay. Uh, ben Schwartz, who's currently on um, currently on Space Force, was also on Parks and Recreation for mm-hmm. a bunch of years. All right. Danny Pudi, who was on Community for a bunch of years and a couple other shows. Um, Janine Garofalo is in this. Uh, Kate. I didn't even know she still acted. Yeah, I know all these all these people have aged, and so it's not even just like oh they look old. I'd say they just look like an actress that is like five to ten years older than you're used to seeing these people. Um, kind so of this weird. is not an animated series. Well, yeah, they've done, they, both of them have done voice work. And this one is obviously featuring a, uh, a young actress, and it's mostly about the flying squirrel and stuff. Mm-hmm. But imagine if somebody decided, and apparently it's inspired by a children's book, so any issues with the script, I, I can't, I, they, they may have been in the original source material. I was going to say, children's books are notoriously said, awful. Yeah. We want to tell a story about a uh, husband and wife with a child who have separated. They haven't quite gotten divorced, and they have to work through some very mature, uh, you know, relationship issues of what you do when your career's not working the way you wanted, and you may not be able to fulfill your dream, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Holy shit! Time, is this a children's movie? Well, here's like this is going on. Meanwhile, Danny Pudi is playing. Is a this a Pixar ball. film? Wait, wait, wait. Because while this is going on in the background, this very you know, serious, you know, grown-up relationship movie with Allison Hannigan and uh, Ben Schwartz, Danny Pudi is playing a animal control guy who is straight out of, like, Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. And this, you know, slapstick, shooting it with darts, traps in the face. It's like a Home Alone movie, right? Where, like, you know, the squirrel is constantly outwitting him and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's really tonally weird. To have like one, you know, trying to deal with, you know, what, what do you do when things in your family aren't the way you want them to be? What's the name of this movie again? Flora and Ulysses. Flora and Ulysses. You hear this, listeners. Don't go, don't watch this movie. What, why would you, why? Why would you put your children tra- Because the trailer is hilarious. The trailer of course, like, of course. It lulls you in to say, oh, this is a fun slapstick movie about a squirrel superhero. And uh, this, you know, animal control officer who's obsessed with catching him. You know, very... Uh, I would say Tom and Jerry, except they're actually making a Tom and Jerry movie. Right. Um, now, is this Disney or was that Pixar? This is Disney. Uh, I mean, Pixar okay. is owned by Disney these days. Anyway, well, right. They're first. the same, but some they, they still release them separately. And my question to you on that is simply because I have decided um, that – Pixar movies are entirely too serious for me. Mm. I, I, I don't like them, and I realize it's been a long time since I have. Um, because I've never even seen Toy Story 3. Uh, so that was a pretty good one. Four was kind of forgettable. But uh, so here's the is when you say they're too serious for you. I, I, first of all, Mickey, I salute you for zigging when the rest of the American film critic community zags. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pixar is considered the gold standard in most people's. And um, Soul was pretty good recently. This is the one that had. Nope. Uh, we'll watch Fox, it. But, Okay. Okay, and here's and here's Broke where I realized this is actually where I realized I had a Pixar problem. Okay. Is that I've heard so many great things about Soul. A couple people have recommended it to me. I've gone to the channel, set up to watch it, realize that what it's going to be, and in my head, regardless of what the storyline is, if it's a Pixar movie, 
in my head, it will have something to do with feelings and loss and all of that that they like to seem to play with a great deal. And for someone like myself who has experienced real loss and trauma in real life, I find them to be a little triggering Mm. and I don't like them. And I realized at one point I have actually turned off more than one Pixar movie, like started watching it and was like, nope, don't need this from my quote unquote cartoon. I'll keep it moving. I don't. So somebody had done this whole thing about where every Pixar movie is. What if blank had feelings? Right. Toy Story. What if toys had feelings? Cars. What if cars had feelings? Leading you all the way up to Inside Out, which is what if feelings had feelings? And Um, that was one of the ones I turned off, by the way. uh, um, Soul would probably very much fit in that category of dealing with the theme of loss, dealing with the theme of finding your purpose in life. And when it may or may not be what you thought it was for much of your uh, earlier part of your life. It, it, you know, it was well done, but even it, it was, as I was describing the tonal changes yes. in Flora and Ulysses, Soul has this wacky story in which his soul ends up in a cat for a part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Um, and that's very wacky, you know, Pixar chasing down the street, wackiness, you know, type stuff. And then at the same time, it's like, you know, what is our purpose on life? And are, are you, are you, <laughs> and are you a lost soul and all that kind of stuff? It's like, really? Well, see, like, that's the whole thing is I don't, I, I think that they like to play with those themes um, a great deal in Pixar movies. And I think that they're maybe taking themselves a little too seriously at this point. Also, I, I, you have, you really nailed something and they did that. That's now part of the Pixar brand. Where mm-hmm. I think if you look at the ones pe- people have not responded well to. Uh, Cars 3, I think, or maybe Cars 2. One of the Cars, the, the Cars sequels were generally nothing special. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just mentioned the Toy Story 4, which again, had a theme of loss and moving on from life and all that kind of stuff that people have kind of come to expect uh, their their Pixar film to have a Philosophy 101 uh, or maybe maybe even Philosophy 201 graduate level course. Oh, without a doubt. going to throw and... some big ideas at you. In the meantime, yes. they're going to be, you know, cat and dogs chasing each other. Right. And and for me, you know how you know how simple I am when it comes to my entertainment. Mm. If if it is supposed to be a comedy gym, I want it to make me laugh. And there is nothing worse, right, than a trailer that makes it look like this is going to be a funny movie and it's not. Mm. Or that it's going to be a good movie and it's not. But generally speaking, making it look like it's going to be a funny movie and it ends up being a serious movie, like secret serious movie, is what I call absolute trickery um, and skullduggery by the movie industry. And I absolutely hate it when they do it. Because, again, people like myself, that is the opposite of anything I have ever wanted to see, ever. Yeah, and it's also worth keeping in mind that, like, if you sell if you sell if you make a certain movie and let's let's say you make a movie that's got sad serious themes well don't sell it as a comedy then right don't don't create trailers that are going to you know make you think it's a certain kind of a movie when it's not because i first of all i can tell you the director is probably screaming at the studio why are you selling my very serious drama film as a comedy and then the flip side is like that's a guarantee for bad word of mouth the people whereas if, if you tell people this is going to be a serious drama the people who show up are going to be expecting a serious drama and they're more likely to be pleased by it. Like, 
you could you could do a very good type of film, but if people are expecting something completely different when they walk through the door, unless it's like wow, this you, you're it's a much higher bar to clear for people to be like, oh wow, this is a really good movie, even though it's nothing like what I expected based on, uh, you know, if your if your movie is called Night of the Vampires and it turns out there are no vampires, yeah, people are gonna say wait. What, what was going on here? So. Suspect movie. I, I, you know, and and going along with that, I mentioned this very briefly going into this. I recently watched a movie that was kind of a little surprise pop. If you have an extra hour and a half um, in your life, look for it. It's on Netflix. It's called White Tiger, mm. and that was one of those movies that surprised me. Um, and it, it takes something to surprise me a little bit. It was a unique story and yet very familiar. Um, I saw somewhere that it was described as the secret of my success meets Goodfellows in, bo- in, in Bollywood. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like, like I said, it's very different. And I think it's definitely worth, worth catching a little bit, a little surprise, I guess. Um, something that I watched recently that was not a surprise. And, and this kind of also goes into uh award season too to a certain degree we're talking about like these movies getting released what i realize is because they're being released on streaming services i'm actually watching a lot of the movies that are up for awards this year whereas previously that would not have happened yeah you you would want to shell out you know mm-hmm. 10 bucks or 14 bucks or whatever it is to necessarily to go see something that's say let's face it most oscar bait movies are historic oh, slightly overdone historical dramas that allow the you know the the actor or actress who is due for a a role uh, for a uh, a Oscar to to emote and chew the scenery you know to generally you know absolutely and and, and it is like I said to me it's very interesting because you're getting an opportunity to see these and judge them based on you know actual popular opinion of watching them which should be interesting as well um, but one of those movies and I and I'll, I'll go ahead and hit on this right now that I am. Uh, absolutely pulling for um the movie and the director is one night in miami and it was it's it was directed by regina king Mm -hmm. and i don't know how much you know about this particular um movie but it's a it's a historical fiction film a fictionalized version of a night where muhammad ali malcolm x sam cook get together and kind of hang out in Miami the night after Muhammad Ali had won the the heavyweight championship of the world. And it, it's just such an, it's a fascinating tale of their friendship, their interaction. And Regina King, it is her directorial debut. And I, she's she's been being nominated for a lot of the like the smaller awards leading up to the Oscars. So I believe she'd be the first black female director to ever be nominated for an Oscar. Um, but this movie is just it's really fascinating. And again, it's, a, you know, obviously it's historical fiction, but I legitimately think that that's another one that is definitely worth checking out. I was going to say, and that's the kind of movie where, from from the moment you hear the concept, mm-hmm. you've got four larger than you've got four larger than life personalities, right? So you're you've you've automatically got four juicy roles for four actors, and I'd recommend mm-hmm. um, Aldous Hodge, I believe, is one of the the four, and I've liked a bunch of the TV shows and stuff that he's been in. And just this, you know, you you know, this is not going to be a full on biopic. It's not meant to tell you. 
the complete life stories of these four characters. It's it's these four men at a particular moment in American history, um, you know, where you just now you're like, OK, I want to see what those four guys are like. I want to see what those four guys say to each other. What do they think of each other? Where do they agree? Where do they disagree? You know, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. And, it, and what I thought was I thought she brought a very real edge to it. By bringing in what we know about each of their individual personalities, as far as how Jim Brown presented himself, how Malcolm presented himself, how Sam Cooke presented himself, how Muhammad Ali presented himself. Because at that time, he wasn't even Muhammad Ali yet. Mm. He was still Cassius Clay that night. Um, So there's, again, a very transitional moment in history involving four larger than life characters of that time. And and, you know, again, just I I absolutely recommend it. I thought it was definitely worth watching and allows the imagination, I think, even afterwards to kind of think on that one, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So if that is the uh, most is it safe to say that's the most impressive thing you've seen on the streaming services these days? I'd say it's pretty far up there. Um, I've watched a couple good things that I liked. I, I mean, honestly, right now it's really hard for me because I believe I've told you right now my life is in documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I've moved into, you know, documentaries are really having a moment in my life and I'm guessing everyone else's because there are a million documentaries out there, um, some of which we're going to talk about today. And And now, of course, I'm an expert on many different things. Well, okay, so this is the was the vanishing the Cecil is it the, what's the title of that one? Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. Yes, vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. Okay. Uh, I saw that come up on the feed, and I was like, "That's a Mickey series right there." And I yes. was familiar enough with the case of this. Uh, I believe inspired, like at least almost every crime drama has done one episode loosely based on this young woman uh, appears in security footage. Uh, can't tell whether she's being followed or she's. Uh, being harassed or something. It seems like she's in trouble in some kind. She seems in distress, disappears, and I believe it was a couple of days later they found her body in the giant water tank that is on the roof of the top of the hotel. Um, Not as common as they used to be, but they look like almost like, you know, big thack, you know, not not quite smokestacks, but, you know, the water water barrel thing in there. Um, Yes. And so I was familiar with it. And so it, it seems like a natural fodder for a... Uh, for a documentary, but this is also, you said, this is one of the most notorious sites in all of LA, correct? Yes, well, that's what that, and you were one, 100% correct that this is absolutely Mickey bait. The minute it pops up, I'm like, absolutely going to watch that right now. Um, And the truth of the matter, spoiler alert, I'm going to give you so many spoilers and what we're about to discuss. So if that, if you do not know the ending or the truth or the story of Elisa Lamb, Stop listening if you if you ever really you know if you want to find out through this. Um, to me, all of this information has been available long before this documentary came out, so I'm not really spoiling it. But I just want to give everybody a heads up. The Elisa Lamb story: she's the girl who went missing, was found in the water tank. The reason that this story is so fascinating um, and and really gripping to those of us who are familiar with true crime and also to the paranormal side of things a certain bit is because of the Cecil Hotel itself, the location in which this took place. Um, It's become slightly more infamous over the years as people start to learn more and more about the history of the Cecil. It was built in the 1920s and at the time had that very, um, you know, it it was top of the line. But at the time it was built in the area, which is then and now Skid Row. 
And the, the Cecil Hotel, situated in Skid Row, has all of this amazing architecture. And you go inside, it has this beautiful lobby, but it also has a very, very dark and scary history from the time that it was built because it had, um, I believe, it's 16 stories. They don't have a 13th floor. How ironic, right? Hmm. Um, but they do have. Well, that open... should make sure nothing bad happens there. <laughs> right. Um, but they do have balconies. <clears throat> And windows, obviously, up on those higher floors as well. And almost immediately upon opening, they started having people come there to jump off of it because it was right around the time of the Great Depression. And so once the Depression hit, they it kind of became an easy place for people to stay there because it was cheap and close to transportation. That's where the railroad lines came through. And it's my understanding at that time and again, this turned into a whole me investigating Skid Row thing. But at that time in the early 20s and 30s, the Skid Row area was filled with mostly out of work white men who were, you know, drunks, alcoholics sleeping in the streets. Obviously, it's changed quite a bit over the years. And the one thing that has not changed is the evil impact of the Cecil Hotel being there on that corner. Um, we had you know, many numerous drug overdoses, murders suicides and again jumpers to the event where someone actually jumped off the hotel and landed on someone in the sidewalk killing them both oh. so it has a long and storied history of just random violence then in the 1980s um, a very famous serial killer known as the night stalker richard ramirez lived on the 14th floor while he was committing a lot of the murders that he is now or was obviously incarcerated for. Um, he passed away a few years ago from cancer. Um, however, having said that, you learn in any research about Richard Ramirez or about the Cecil or where he lived at the time is he would literally like take his clothes off in the alley outside the hotel and walk up the stairs to the 14th floor covered in blood sometimes and in his underwear and didn't no one bothered to call the cops no one seemed to think it was strange you know, i'd like to think that even by the standards of los angeles that would stand out that that's kind of you know hey hey barry did you see that guy he was you know completely uh uh com com naked or nearly naked and covered in blood is you know still get a rough night there you know you'd think right but no um and in fact after he was caught obviously it was found out where he had stayed when he lived there etc no one seemed to know anything about his crimes i know that's shocking um but the cecil continued to be more of a part of it is low-income housing and part of it is a hotel um so it's, it's a really interesting thing that goes on there having to do with zoning getting to more of that in a minute. However, then in the early 90s, they had another guest that came to stay at the Cecil Hotel um, who was known as the Austrian Butcher. He was a man who had killed a woman back in the 70s and he had, I believe, raped and strangled her to death. Then he went to jail and got out in like 10 years because that was allowed back then and got out in like 10 years and became a journalist. And he um an even became, more disreputable line of work. Yes, he became a journalist. He came to the US and said that he wanted to study the underbelly of LA. So he specifically requested to stay at the Cecil Hotel and he wanted to stay in Richard Ramirez's room. As part of this, he made contacts with the LAPD and asked if he could do ride-alongs with them 
to areas where he might see prostitution and under and underhanded behavior like that. Well, as it turned out in his three week, four week stay here, um, several women started to go missing here in the L.A. area. I believe it was three or four prostitutes in total before he disappeared into the wind. He was ultimately captured in Europe. But as it turns out, he had been killing women in every single country he had visited since he'd gotten out of jail. But he, yes, had also stayed at the Cecil Hotel and probably is responsible for more deaths than Richard Ramirez in total, um, even though people are less familiar with him. So, to say that the Cecil has a storied history is, again, an understatement of the year. However, I'm not sure how much of this Elisa Lamb knew when she decided to come and stay there. She was um, a young girl from Canada, and she was kind of going out on her own for the first time. She went to stay at the Cecil Hotel, and she disappeared. This would have been probably just another, you know, random tourist disappearance in LA had it not been for this very bizarre security footage that was ultimately released um, by the LAPD in hopes of finding her while she was missing. And it became infamous because it went viral on the internet almost immediately. And as Jim alluded to, everyone kind of saw it as she came into the elevator, started pushing buttons. She kind of stuck her head out, looks both sides in the hallway, almost as though she's talking to someone or looking at someone. She jumps back in to the elevator and then backs quietly into the corner, kind of like tucks her hands up beside her as though she's hovering and scared. Then she runs to the door and looks back. She steps outside and then she runs down the hallway and she's gone. And after she runs down the hallway, the door shuts. It was very hard for people who saw it online to realize that something was wrong with the timing. Why was the door staying open? Um, Web sleuths went crazy with this, as you can imagine. Um, and of course, people who know the history of the Cecil immediately started to assume that it could have something to do with the paranormal or, you know, just one of the people who lived there. Um, but everyone assumed foul play. So this is where we kind of begin this documentary about her vanishing and and they do give a good history of the Cecil a brief history of the Cecil and and Skid Row as well um there's even rumors really going back to as far as the Black Dahlia is that the bar at the Cecil is one of the places that she's rumored to have hung out um the little cocktail lounge there in one of the nights before she disappeared so again, like long and storied history, but as we get into talking to Elisa Lamb, it's one of those stories that there's just enough weird things to make even a sane person start to question. Because it, she goes missing, they can't find her, ultimately her body is found because, and this is so gross, because people who are staying in the Cecil Hotel started complaining that their water was dark. And smelled funny when they were showering oh. and brushing their teeth. And so someone went up to see if the, you know, if something was clogged in the water tank. And that was when they found her. And she had been up there for, I think it was like 21 days or something like this. Something crazy like that. Um, so, yeah. And so there were a lot of really odd things that came out about this. Obviously, you know. How does someone get up on top of this hotel? The, everyone at the hotel claimed that there was all kinds of security. Let me tell you this. 
there's nothing about that hotel that looks secure. <laughs> so I don't buy that. I think that it's completely capable for what ultimately ended up happening. Yeah, Mickey, the only in that hotel, the only thing that's going to stop a serial killer from killing you is the other serial killer staying in the same hotel. Right. Like this again, it's one of those stories where you look at it like, oh, okay. So, but you can understand with this odd video coming out and them not being able to find her and then this water situation. I mean, that's something literally straight out of criminal minds. Um they've had, you know, there have been several episodes of things where they find the body Yes. Because it was in the water tank. I'm that sure Castle did at least one of them. Yeah. Yes, like oh, almost every procedural has done it because it has been done before and it happened there. So it's ultimately very eerie, very creepy. Um, so they begin to try to figure out what happened to her. And that's really what the documentary is about, is laying out the investigation into her disappearance, the web sleuths that took over, which was a really big part of the story because there were so many conspiracy theories, Jim. And and when I say the things I'm going to tell you, it's it's part of, again, part of what makes this case initially especially very interesting to people obviously you've got the history of the cecil hotel you've got this crazy video of her on the elevator then you find out that there was like an outbreak of tuberculosis in skid row during the time in which she was missing and the it, it's crazy but like the drug that you use to treat tuberculosis is lamb elisa which is spelled the exact same way as her name. Yeah. Um, Just spelled back like L-A-M Elisa instead of Elisa Lamb. So there was another guy named Morbid who was, you know, kind of one of those death metal guys. (laughs) I think he was actually from Mexico. Uh, Morbid is his name, you're saying. Morbid, yes. His name. All right, that's, you know, that's normal. Yes, his name was Morbid. So... There were a lot of people who believed that he might be responsible for her death because he had stayed at the Cecil at one time, even though it was not even close to the same time that this girl was there. Uh, you know, so there was just a lot of speculation and people over investing in it um, a little too much because when the truth came out, as it turns out, it was a really bad story, but it also was not anything about what the web sleuths thought it was. As it turns out, Elisa Lamb had suffered from bipolar one. Um, which can come with psychotic behavior and hallucinations. And she was on some pretty serious medication for a very long time. But when she was found, it was pretty clear she had been off her meds for quite a while. And she had been staying in a part of the hotel, which this is the craziest part. The Cecil actually set up a part of the hotel that they renamed. um, I think it was like called Stay on Main. So that when you looked it up online, it didn't say the Cecil and didn't freak people out. Oh. And it was just three. It was three floors separate from the rest and of the hotel. Name. Mm-hmm. The curse is gone. Right. Well, and it's only three floors within the hotel. It was a hotel within a hotel. And it's three, ho- three floors within that hotel with that shared elevator, but a separate entrance. Um, and so part of it was like youth hostel type thing where people were sharing rooms. And she had been sharing a room with three or four other girls who ultimately had complained about her bizarre behavior and had and complained to the front desk who ultimately gave her a private room right before she disappeared. And as it turns out, she was in the middle of what appears to be a severe psychotic break. And it's exceptionally tragic. But according to her family, 
when she was having these breaks and she had had them before, she would often think that someone was chasing her okay. and she would run and hide. And so the idea of like, how, how did she get into the water tank? Why would you go into a water tank? Well, if you were thinking that you were looking for a place to hide um, from this thing that is chasing you, that seems like it would be a pretty good place to hide. So that is the true story of what happened with Elisa Lamb. And it is quite sad and it is quite tragic, but there's nothing supernatural about it. And unfortunately there's no foul play either. This is just, what happened with this are, young are they, girl. So this is, this, is a, this is a solved case, in fact. Absolutely. Wow. That's it. Because my fear was, be, you know, at the end of it, you have whoever the modern day equivalent of Robert Stack would come out and say, you know, you know, dial this number here if you have information about this case. And maybe you, too, can help solve a mystery. You know, I know that. You no. Know, and in fact, back, uh, you know. I, yeah, oh, yeah, totally. But no, I honestly, in fact, think that's part of the reason why I liked this documentary is that it made a point of going through all the conspiracy theories. I knew what had happened to her, like I said, before I watched this. I knew the real story, um, but I was curious to see how they would handle it. Because a lot of people have taken this story and have really exploited it. Um, Interestingly enough, one of them is Zach Baggins, who gets on my nerves a lot. He does ghost adventures on the Travel Channel. And I just found out that he broke up with um, Holly Madison, who was a Playboy Playmate. Remember back in the Playmate when they had their own show? Yes, the three who were yes, 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 uh, yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. The the three girlfriends. Uh, I mean, like, so I've heard. So I've heard. I wouldn't. Yes, exactly. The three girlfriends. Well, apparently Zach Baggins, who is on Ghost Adventures, has been dating Holly Madison for two years, which I somehow managed to miss, and they just broke up like this week. So, um, oddly, that fits into my story in a weird little trivia way. So, uh, Zach Baggins and others have done a lot of paranormal studies. At you know shows at the Cecil discussions. There's been a lot of different online chatter and online groups about um, Elisa Lamb and what happened. And a lot of places treat it as though it's unsolved. And so I was very pleased that the documentary went headlong into explaining that, no, it is 100% solved. There is no mystery. All of her behavior is explained once you know what she was dealing with at that time with her mental illness and that this is something that had happened previously. Everything that she had done leading up to it makes sense. And, and it, you know, it doesn't necessarily make sense to us as sane people, but it makes sense in the context of where she was. So I did like the fact that in a lot of ways they made an attempt to stop the exploitation of this particular story. Um, but I don't know how successful that will be. Well, well, that is somewhat good, you know, one, and and, you you sit there and wonder how many people, um, like there are, you know, God forbid, you know, there are serial killers in this world, but there are also random tragic accidents or situations like the one you described there where, you know, it's easy to kind of feed into a, uh, serial killer narrative, right? Mm -hmm. there, There are people who, uh, unfortunately, you know, for, you know, drinking or some other issue, you know, fall into a ditch somewhere and right. their body isn't found. And, they, you know, it would people think, oh, it was the so-and-so strangler or something like that. You know? So, anyway, you know, um, Speaking of so, which, there are some great serial killer documentaries right now out there. I highly recommend digging in for those. 
Um, some good ones that I, I could give you a list, but why bother? I've watched them all. Um, just <laughs> letting you know that there are some decent ones that are actually out there right now on all the streaming services. Because as I said, I've moved on to documentaries so that I can become an expert on things. Paranormal Activity, Skid Row. I, I had no idea. Um, what, and I shouldn't laugh, but the, one of the, the most fascinating things, as you know, Jim, to me about the seesaw is that it's located in Skid Row. And as someone who had never been there, had no idea anything about it, in the documentary, when they mentioned that the area was a 50-block area in downtown L.A., I, I got curious. What can I say? Um, I, that's just not what I pictured, that it was, you know, basically a small city within a city, but that's exactly what it is. If and as it... If you've heard, if you live on on the East Coast, you've heard about Skid Row. It mm -hmm. usually comes in a cop drama in Los Angeles, set in Los Angeles, and you'd think it was a street. And there's like right. one alley that they use to film all these scenes. You know. Yes, this is not what I pictured. Um, and so ultimately, I ended up having to go watch more documentaries and finding out more about it, and realizing that it is just a few blocks away from the Staples Center. And what LA has chosen to do is to move all of their human services resources into Skid Row. So if the, all the homeless resources are there, missions are there, soup kitchens are there, um, drug rehabs are there, halfway houses are there. So basically the idea seems to be they're just hoping all of the people that are struggling with, let's face it, mental illness or drug addiction, because that's what 95% of your homeless population is. Instead of, you know, getting them real treatment, they basically have just pushed them all into one area. Mm. You know, sad to say, sorry, I, I, if our, if our listeners are in uh, Los Angeles and you happen to love where you live. Wonderful. I hope so. I've been there a few times in my life. I've never gotten a warm and fuzzy vibe off of Los Angeles. I've, you know, I've always been wondering whether it's a, uh, whether the East coast guy in me or whether like, I mean, how many movies and TV it's shows all a have... facade. It's all a facade. Well, I mean, like um, this idea. I don't, of, like... I don't know. I don't want a movie that's from, but it's all a facade. Um, uh, but, it, but yeah, like it just, um, I mean, you yeah, said like, you, know, you want to know about the seedy underbelly of L.A. Is there a city that has a you know less explored seedy underbelly than Los mm. Angeles? Right. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's you know, there's not a shortage of documentaries and you know the, the idea that this is a city with enormous split between rich and poor and racial divisions and crime and corruption. And, well, they're you know, even looking to gentrify parts of Skid Row now. <laughs> and you the know, and you condos. It's right. Row. That's exactly it. But the thing about it is, is then you've got crazy people going, no, no, you can't, you can't tear down Skid Row. You can't gentrify Skid Row. Where will you know these people won't be able to afford to live here? And it's like you've got 50 blocks of downtown LA laid out where it's basically a no-go zone for cops and anyone who's not mentally ill or a drug addict living on the streets. I think LA is a problem, and I don't think that just keeping Skid Row quote unquote contained is the solution yeah now it's you know kind of just actually a slightly different part of la but a kind of a uh perhaps sim equally symbolic of the troubles of the region and the ideas that uh would have us believe that la is this you know the, the city of tomorrow and the future of, of america and all that kind of oh stuff. lord i hope not um, well you know it's the it's the uh apparently netflix is working on a documentary about Lori Laughlin, the actress who played Aunt Becky back on Full House. 
and the efforts to get her daughter into USC and the whole corruption in college admission scandal, which I'm, I, I heard that and I was glad because as much as a couple of years back, you and I had enjoyed the dueling versions of the O.J. Simpson trial, right? That uh, FX had done the, the People versus O.J. Simpson, a very good dramatization of the trial and the personalities involved. And then I think it was ESPN did O.J. Made in America, the documentary, which I think was even better. And I actually learned Just more. Stunning. From the you know? Yes. Um, but it's one of those things where, like, you know, we all remember this story. It wasn't that long ago. I, I have a feeling that the coverage of the tri- of the trial kind of lost track of just how big and and complicated this scheme was, and how many people got wrapped up in it. And I think somebody had made the interesting point: how many people who have duties of of ethics involving other people's money, right? Bankers, lawyers. People who have, uh, you know, who, who are entrusted, financial advisors, who had no problem participating in basically what was a massive fraudulent scheme. Like, and none of these people at any point said, "Oh, I shouldn't be doing this. This is a form of fraud." You know. Um, so, what are you are you looking forward to? Kind of seeing how they got justice, or I one, I'm glad that as much as I'm sure there are a bunch of actresses who would love to play Lori Loughlin and say, you know. I broke the law for my daughter, you know, to the idea. Of, <laughs> right. I mean, you know, because this is the, you know, uh, what was it? Sally Can I just give you my opinion on this? Sure. I don't care. I didn't oh, care really? then. I don't care now. I don't even think it's that big of a deal. I think that people pay for their kids to go to college all the time in many different ways. Some people give a wing. You know, sometimes it's just a great, big, generous <laughs> well, donation was, to a college. Crazy. Yeah, you know, like, that's the good old days. That's how it used to be done. Um, Now, apparently, you know, you just have to bribe the right coach Mm. to make sure that you get in. But, yeah, no, I I legitimately think this is the biggest non-scandal that has ever existed in the history of ever. And I'm not sure. Something about it makes me feel like they felt like they could somehow tie it to Trump or something. Because I am still not a thousand percent sure how it broke the surface, considering all the terrible things that people in LA and New York do um, both for and to their children. This really like paying a little extra for them to get into the school of choice seemed like such a minor deal. I would point out this is, this wasn't really a New York scandal. This was a Connecticut scandal, right? This is a, right. This is an already moved out to the suburbs type scandal. Right. Um, So let me, let me, you know, sorry. So let me float this out here and it's not, for those wondering, I didn't go to the, the Ivy Leagues. I'm not one of those people who's like, yeah, so let me let me rattle off my academic credential, you know. But I, I guess it's like there are so many things in this life that you can get because you're wealthy or because you're famous or your parents are wealthy and famous or both. The idea that you could basically have your slide. The other thing is also like, is it the idea that Lori Laughlin's daughter is this like perfect teen airhead doing the social media influencer like like your perfect brainless hollywood offspring am i being mean there um i don't i I don't know that she's brainless because i know she's making money off of her instagram and she made money off of going to college which is what i think got her busted if you really want to know um because she was kind of a college student influencer yeah and even though she you know, really wasn't going to college. Target was paying her to put her, their, her stuff, their stuff in her 
room and to show right off in her dorm room, correct? Yeah, college dorm room collection and stuff. And it was just one of those things where I, I think, like, she was okay. The the real thing is that she was cosplaying being a student. Yeah, pretty much. Right? Like, I mean, but again, student. that's what they all do. Um, oh. I I think it's okay. interesting to pick these particular parents out and decide that these particular students cross the line and this is illegal. But if you know, legitimately, if they had just made a larger donation to the entire university, this would have been completely legal. Okay. So I think the other thing is that be, getting into an Ivy League school, now let's point out the University of Southern California. If you went there, wonderful. But it's, it's still it's not, not Ivy. Ivy yeah. School, I'm right? still shocked yeah. that people are paying to get into it. You see, whatever. A couple of notches down there. But um, the idea that getting into a prestigious school is consider you know it's believed to be a measure of merit or at least that like we you know there was a people like to believe that you know, either if you weren't super rich you couldn't just you know bribe your way into it i and got it, the impression Lori lachlan did it because she was actually a big fan of the school and like going to the sports and stuff yeah but the other the other thing was also you know, these are people who are by and large already wealthy and successful and, you know, their, their kids would have, like, if you didn't get into this, you'd probably get into something, some, you know, other fine school. But this perception of, like, no, I need my kid to get into a really good school, too. Like, it's not enough that they be Lori Laughlin and whatever her husband's name is, daughter. I actually think it's considerably worse that people like Felicity Hoffman, who had someone take their child's SAT test for them. Um, I think that's worse than just a flat out paying for getting them in. Okay. Um, did you see William H. Macy's testimony in the trial, Mickey? No. Well, he was great in it. Let me tell you. He, you know, <laughs> wonderful reviews. <laughs> terrific performance. Some of William H. Macy. I shouldn't laugh at that. But like, here's it. Like, you're William H. Macy and you're Felicity Huffman. Like, they've got like, right. Oscar nominations between them, right? You know, what life hasn't been good enough to you? You got to bribe your kid into, you know. It's so bizarre. Like, but also, like, it's a, it's another revelation about like how you can be Hollywood royalty, and yet there's a form of prestige that you they don't necessarily have that they think that a particular college degree will confer upon their offspring that they want. Correct. Right. It's it's very interesting about what you know. Uh, that, you know, the grass is always greener and this idea that there's something that uh, they really want and feel like has been denied to them. And stuff. When anyway, so there's like a million that. people at state schools, it'd be like, I will trade places with you like right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this, you know, so the, and, well, I think that's the other thing is that, the, you know, Laughlin and Hoffman, you know, like Laughlin in particular, I think there's something deep down. We all kind of didn't like Aunt Becky back then. I don't know why. I did. <laughs> Why? Uh, what is with all the Aunt Becky hate? I actually thought she was very cute. Oh, she was very cute. I, you know what it is? Is that like, you know, whether or not you liked Full House, I don't think it was ever my favorite. Um, there, there's really something saccharine and cloying about that sitcom compared to other offerings of that era. But it had a really nice run, right? Everybody associated with that show made their fortune. That was right. a god awful show. How oh, yeah. it was on the air this long, as long as it was, I have no idea. The Olsen sisters made bank on that, and right. then their post career, and then they turned crazy and disappeared. Uh, they turned crazy, and John Stamos is still uh, doing good, have you know, making a bunch off it, and still um, looks hot, by the way. Oh, yeah, I, I think that he has got the aged. Dick Clark cryogenic freezing process. Oh, my uh, God. Like, he was hot when I was young, 
and he's hot now. It's amazing. Uh, but yeah, but everybody associated with that show, they did. Oh, and then Lori Laughlin was on like a whole bunch of Hallmark movies for a while, right? Correct. Yeah. She had a whole, at least three Hallmark Christmas, you know, the lumberjack she went to high school with who, you know. Oh, at least. Yeah. No, she definitely had Hallmark that. movies yeah. and I'm hoping so, they bring them back. Yeah. So it's one of those things you just want to say, Lori. First of all, now you can make a really fantastic Lori Laughlin Christmas Hallmark heist movie. <laughs> <laughs> She's got to rob the bank in order to pay her college, her kids' college bills or something. But anyway, um, like, like I think there was kind of a sense of like, hasn't thing, hasn't, haven't, you know, wasn't, wasn't the world supportive enough to you, Lori Laughlin? You know, you, you have a fairly successful career in Hollywood over more than one decade, and you still feel the need to cut corners and to cheat? I, again, I feel like you are making entirely too big of a deal about this. And I believe everyone is. And I realize that this probably makes me in the minority, but I'm just putting it out there. I feel like it was, and I don't know who they irritated or pissed off, but I feel like someone obviously got very pissed off and decided to blow the whistle on this whole situation. Maybe their kid didn't get in after they paid the money. Um, oh, oh, I remember now how it all happened. Somebody flipped at the top. They got caught yeah. and, you know, and then flipped on all these people. But again, to me, I, I, it's just not a big deal. It wasn't a big deal to me then. It's not ever going to be a big deal to me. Um, something that is a big deal to me, um, right now anyway, is football. And I had thought for at least a moment or two after the Super Bowl was over, I'd be able to like take a breath. This has been a rough year for a Steeler fan. Obviously, going 11-0 was fantastic. Then, not so good after that. Um, then, all of a sudden, you know, we get to the end of the season. We finally make it through the god-awful playoff game that we are in. And I'm thinking we can breathe. But then we've got all the salary cap pressure. And now everyone in the world wants to talk about whether or not Ben Roethlisberger is going to stay another year or leave another year. I don't need this kind of trust in my life. Um, I, I just don't need it. I don't need this kind of stress. I need them to get their shit together. And fortunately this week, it does look like these Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger are going to work things out. But has this already been an exhausting offseason? Because it just started. Yeah. So the Super Bowl was about three weeks ago as of this, this recording. Um, and, and so for my first question, so first of all, time I, I is a flat circle, Jim. It doesn't what? matter anymore. Yeah. Uh, is it safe to assume that uh, you want Roethlisberger back for another year? You're not worried about age catching up with him, right? You. I would take him for another two years after two years. the rest. And primarily because we have a good solid defense right now. And there's no reason to tank the careers of everyone on our defense because we don't have a backup quarterback. And like we don't have somebody waiting in the wings. And I am very frustrated by those that are eager to push Ben Roethlisberger out the door to, quote unquote, begin the rebuilding, which basically means losing for the next however long. Mm. Um, I'll skip that. Um, it makes no sense to me as a fan or as someone who enjoys football to do something that would be so knee jerk and silly. We've got an amazing defense right now and you have to have a quarterback to go along with that. And, you know, people make arguments that you can get game managers in there and win games with really good defenses. That may be true. That is not something that has ever been true in Pittsburgh. So as we have a Hall of Fame quarterback right now, I'd like to hold on to him for as long as he wants to stay. Unless, and again, you know, 
if we pick somebody up and they end up being a good backup and Ben can help them develop it for the next year or so, I'd be a lot more comfortable with it. But right now, it just seems silly to basically cede the quarterback position to someone like a Mason Rudolph, who is 100% not a starter in the NFL. Well, I guess another thing, like, you know, considering everything Roethlisberger has done for the team, right, um, the, all the years, you know, in addition to winning the Super Bowl, uh, all the years he's been good and been a better part of the team and a strength of the team when other parts of the team have not, you know, all the receivers who dropped pass last dropped passes last year. Like it does feel like the, a lot of the league has become a lot quicker to cut bait with a aging quarterback, i.e. Tom Brady with the mm-hmm. New England Patriots. How low are half of the Patriots? Yeah, right. There's you, that you go to go. Well, uh, and I realized. I've, no, I've been thinking about this because you bring this up, but I've been thinking about this because you're absolutely right. And I think this kind of started with the Green Bay era mm. because they kept, you know, they got rid of a lot of quarterbacks to keep Brett Favre for a long time. And then ultimately they kept Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers steps in and, oh, my God, he's amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. And obviously Brett Favre goes on to do whatever he does. He's Hall of Fame all the way. And that was maybe the one time that it worked out in the favor of the team in recent yeah. history because Montana when the Colts young, right? But you look, very rarely get two guys one after the other who right? are look at what happened with the Colts. Yeah, the Colts that absolutely rarely runs through. Yeah. Let me you guys let me know whenever the Colts win something again. Um, because they got rid of Peyton so they could quote rebuild. He went to the Broncos, won another Super Bowl. The Patriots got rid of Tom Brady so they could, quote, rebuild. He went to Tampa Bay, won another Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I feel like teams maybe want to relook at this particular business model. And I guess also, like, and, and maybe the flip side of where it didn't work quite as well as a team would have expected, but um, the Giants probably stuck with Eli a year longer than the metrics would have told them to. I disagree. Time, I blame that on coaching. Okay. Well, there's a part of it that would say that, like, that's when, when a guy's won two Super Bowls for you, and you know, so one of them is one of the greatest upsets, or, or you know, probably the second greatest upset in Super Bowl history. I think he's kind of earned that extra year to, you know, go out oh, on his own terms. Right? Absolutely, and but I also absolutely has the right to go out on his own terms. Has the right to lose his position if there's someone on the team better than him to play it. Right. Um, but if they don't have anyone better on the team to play it, then it's pretty much just a punch in the gut to say like, yeah, we're just going to get rid of you because, yeah, um, it, probably, you know, it should be clear, you know, but it's one of those things where like football is a sport where people depart on their terms so rarely mm-hmm. that I kind of feel like once a guy also with the, with the, um, uh, Doug Peterson getting laid about laid off by the, or having parting of the ways with the Philadelphia Eagles, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like when your guy wins a Super Bowl. Minimum three seasons. He's, he, you know, he's allowed to do whatever he wants. You kind of give him a buffer of sorts. Right. Well, I, my, my, I have not always been so protective of Ben as I have become more recently and that I have seen obviously so many bus quarterbacks come <laughs> through the league. But also you see how special Ben really is when you realize how many games he has won us all by himself. Um, and this year was certainly a year where we had no running game whatsoever. Um, the poor man, you know, and you can't have an offense without a balanced offense. And that's not Ben's fault if we don't have a running game and we aren't calling running plays. Um, you know, people complain about, I think he had four interceptions in the playoff game. Well, if you ask a quarterback to throw it, get this 
68 times. Mm. You're going to have some of those probably not work out so great. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot to blame for what happened with the offense on the Steelers. I just don't think that Ben is the number one reason behind it. And I think a lot of times, especially casual fans and let's face it, the people who talk on ESPN and NFL Network and all of the millions of other sports channels, sports has kind of become like politics in that way, mm-hmm. that they have all of these different channels and all of these talking heads. And they're always looking for palace intrigue and drama and they're going to break a story. They need and, content. They yeah, need, they, they need, need content, too. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And in many ways, I think that's why it's very frustrating to a lot of sports fans now. I would concur in that, you know, when you're a Jets fan, you know, the run up to the draft is traditionally one of your most uh, exciting times. And we're expected to have a quarterback carousel this year where Watson's going to leave is expected to leave Houston. Um, we've already seen a couple of big trades. The the Jets are players in this. The latest rumor is that Russell Wilson might want out of Seattle, and there's like four teams that he might you know be interested in going to, including the Jets. Look, I I, I wouldn't mind a little bit of a downtime, and I kind of feel like the um, the churn in the league. It's not quite where the NBA is, but it's getting there. Where the sense where you know you can right. Find you find two or three guys. You know, it's the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If you're a Tampa Bay fan and you enjoy the Super Bowl, great. Um, I find Tom Brady much less annoying now that he's not with the Patriots. Um, but but by and large, they are a bit of a mercenary team, right? Because you know, Brady comes in the off season, Gronk comes in the off season, Leonard Fournette joins them like halfway through the year. Um, it's like one or two other big players who they've brought in. Uh, who else am I thinking of? Um, but it was one of those things where, like, they were a you know all assembled in midseason signings and free agency and and all that stuff. Did and you expect me to it. say Antonio Brown? Antonio Brown, there you go. Thank you, Amy. But it's mm-hmm. one of those. So again, these are all guys who were in different teams' uniforms last year, mm-hmm. and they kind of assembled a mercenary superstar team. Um, because and the, I'm, I'm sure the NFL is shuddering at the thought. That in a couple of years, you're going to see this where a bunch of guys who are all in free agency at the same year mm-hmm. say, let's go to a warm weather city and hang out and win a Super Bowl together. And it won't be quite the same because like three players can make a huge difference on a basketball team with only five players on the court at one time. than you are in a football field with 11 players at one court at one time. But, you know. I, I but there are certain players that are going to make that a lot easier. And in the case of Tampa Bay, like, obviously, you know how I feel about Antonio Brown. I can't stand him as a person. However, he's an amazing football player. Um, so you have one of the best receivers that's ever played. You have one of the best tight ends that's ever played. Here is me about to gag on my own words. You have one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. Um, those are a big three to have yeah. if you're going to have them. <laughs> And yeah. and they certainly had a stable running game. Like they yeah. may not have they had a breakout running game. It's amazing. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. wasn't all that motivated in Jacksonville. Yeah. Yeah. Um. He did very well. And but again, you know, you see that, and you see the excitement though that it brings. And so as someone sitting on it, and again, here I am looking at all of this and looking at again recent history, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yet you've got. News media in Pittsburgh, you've got the news media on ESPN, and you know everyone's, oh, it's time to move on from Big Ben. Well, thank you so much, talking head guy who knows nothing. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, it's very similar to, again, any other punditry where they're just sharing their opinion, but they state it as though it's fact. And honestly, as I said, lately, I don't need that kind of stress in my life. I would like <laughs> something to be a little drama free. So I'm hoping that we get our situation settled and quickly because, I don't, like I said, I'm not sure how much longer I can take it. Well, a, a good example, and, and we can move on after this, but just the, the perfect example of the ridiculousness. Um, <clears throat> Mel Kuyper Jr., uh, a bit like Dick Clark, who got cryogenically unthawed on New Year's Eve, and then they put him back in the freeze chamber. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Mel Kuyper Jr. is the guy who comes around around uh, uh, the run-up to the draft. Yes, he, I know he actually he covers college football for uh, ESPN. He doesn't just pay attention. He's got a radio show, and generally, I you know. I'd say I like him, but I do feel like he, his reputation of being Mr. Draft is kind of, uh, you know, it, it, uh, exaggerated, right? Because, you know, I, I don't remember him saying, oh, stay away from Ryan Leaf. That guy's that guy's trouble, right? Right. You know, it, it, it's as much a crapshoot to him as to anybody else. And so his prediction today is that the Jets with the number two pick will trade, will stick with Sam Darnold. Not convinced they're going to do that, but okay, fine. He then okay. says straight down to the number four spot, so that Atlanta can get that uh, the big kid, the great kid from uh, Brigham Young, Zach Wilson, and that the Jets with the fourth overall pick will select a tight end. Now we've seen Kelsey do some amazing stuff. Obviously, Gronk was a big factor in Tampa Bay's success, but you don't use the number four overall pick on a tight end. Mm. Particularly after you trade it down, you know. Anyway, so I, I'm color me extraordinarily skeptical of that scenario. And my understanding is this is the first time Mel Kiper Jr. has ever said, "Oh, I'm going to include trades in my uh, uh, in my assessment," and that's that's the one he came up with. Interesting. Trade it down, take a tight end at four. So, mm. Yeah, that's I. Um, you have a lot of needs, and I would almost hope that that is not what happens to your team. <laughs> Uh, it's just, it's, it's just, you know, I, I, the, the guy, the, the tight end they're picking is supposed to be super duper terrific. And that's great. I wouldn't mind him getting him, but he's, you don't pick him with the fourth overall pick. It's just not, you know, value. I'm there sure are, he's fantastic. Okay. Here, here's a, here's a great, I, I, in, in my school of thought, and I've read this a bunch of other places, Mickey, what would you say you think are the four most important positions on a football team, offense and defense? Okay. Um, obviously, quarterback, I think, is yeah. very important. Um, nose tackle, very important. Okay. Uh, safety, very important. Um, and I'm going to go with guard. Interesting. You're, you're like, you're, if you and I see the world like one notch over from each other, like uh -huh. this, this is a literal illustration of this because I would have said left tackle is your second most important position. <laughs> right. Blind side. Right. Most we got to protect the blind side of your quarterback, mm -hmm. right? You know, so that. Uh, and on defense, I would have said you shut down corner because mm -hmm. if the other team's wide receiver can get you, it's, you know, uh, you, you can have a safety cover a, 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 a the other team's wide receiver. It generally mm -hmm. doesn't work quite as well. Uh, and I would have said, you know, edge rusher is the, yeah. the position where you can single. But yeah, obviously nose tackle is, you know, it's not nothing mm -hmm. there. But you know. It, you know, like yeah, the, 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 everybody's like, and here's the, like tight end is just not, mm -mm. Just not that, you know, you don't see guys saying, oh, long snapper, that's where you need to invest all your <laughs> kicker, punter. Although to be fair, there have been times when the Steelers really should have considered that, mm. um, is where they spent some time. Um, but again, as I said, I'm looking forward to spring. 
at least football draft is around the corner. You know, it's going to be weird again. But I didn't actually mind them watching them like at home with their parents. That wasn't bad. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't mind the draft. But like draft is in April and it's right. February. And I feel like I've read like a dozen mock drafts. Oh, absolutely. I feel like I feel like we could like again, everybody needs to chill. Everyone needs to relax. <laughs> The problem is that everyone is glued to media right now, whether it's, again, we've talked about doom scrolling, right? You pick up the phone and scroll through whatever social media feed they're looking at and just looking for the next series of bad news that's coming. Mm. Um, and I mean, it, I, I think that's just kind of where we are with it right now. I'm hoping that we do get some good news down the road. And I think that we're getting a lot of it, as I've said. But I uh, unfortunately do have some bad news that I'd like to discuss um, okay. because I, I just feel like it's going to be important that you and I at least address this um, as you know, our, le our listeners will be dealing with the fallout of it as well. But Kim Kardashian has filed officially for divorce from Kanye West. You know, Mickey, I was going to say it felt like this was relatively quiet for them. Over the last couple of weeks, am I wrong? Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, you know, for for you know, arguably the couple that does more to dominate uh, celebrity-based headlines and and you know gossip and and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> all in all, you know, she's you know, that you know she obviously isn't like they ever but this since the news broke out that she was going to that you know that she she had wanted the divorce right. This was yeah, she she's was the one who filed. Um, you know. By the way, I didn't mind it. You know, it's one of those things like I don't need to see uh, every little detail of a, you know, like celebrity couples obviously are, you know, like there's extraordinary public interest in their marital woes and all that kind of stuff. But there are kids involved. You know, I'd like to see them, uh, you know, oh, you know whatever Jim, you think you're of, so uh, silly. All of this is going to play out on the final season of the Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Hmm. I'm certain that they filmed a great deal of it. Now, having said that, I think they've probably been separated, separated since at least last summer. I mean, I, I don't have anything to prove that outside of the fact that, well, she's been living in L.A. and he's been living in Wyoming and playing crazy and running for president and whatnot. Um, I am I, obviously never, you know, and I, I never want to see a marriage breakup, a family breakup. I believe that Kim legitimately loved Kanye. He probably is the love of her life. But he went completely insane over the last year and a lot of really weird, bizarre things happened. And she has been trying to work with him and work with him and help him through his mental health issues. And he seems to have no interest in it. So at some point, you have to look out for you and the kids and do what's best for you. So obviously, in the end, I am Team Kim all the way. It's not even a question. Uh, Mickey, you know, just because he, he's gone crazier in the last year, would you say? <laughs> well, I, I shouldn't say the last year. You know, there's definitely been a buildup. But, um, but yeah, certainly, you know, I mean, there was a period of time over the summer where he was sending out crazy tweets and he was threatening her mother and her family. And, you know, and, and it seemingly seemed to be threatening even to harm himself to the point where Dave Chappelle jumped in a private, private plane, rather, and flew out to Wyoming. And to help him. You know, although it's chicken and egg discussion of was, you know, Kanye always cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and, you know, uh, yes. or, or, you know, 
or you know how much was it exacerbated by living constantly in the spotlight like you know in some ways being constantly unpredictable is part of his brand right what's he going to do next what you know uh-huh. what enormously controversial thing is he going to do and i think it's you know safe to say that uh you know this is you know that that that's not something that's going if you that's not a good way to have stability in your life is to have this constant pressure to be doing something new and different and crazy and just like, like if, if Kanye West ever came out and said, yeah, I'm just going to be relaxed and, and, you know, do some deep reading of, of Western classics or something. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, actually, you know, for, for Kanye, that would be radical and unexpected. And surprising. Yeah, I was going to say that would probably work right along straight up with his brand. But yeah, so I, again, you know, I hate to see it happen, but I did want to address it with our listeners because they know that I follow this family pretty closely and I do care a great deal about those involved. But as far as everything else is concerned, you know, I'm sure they will work it out and do what is best for the children because I feel like if nothing else, the two of them seem to agree on that. Now, you sent something to me that I wanted to ask you about because I actually had not heard of this yet. But it's I guess, is it a movie called Moxie? Yes. So I'll, I'll talk if, if uh, I was thinking about, say, as we were wrapping up the Kim and Kanye discussion, I was saying, should I say they're the most screwed up couple since Wanda and Vision on Disney Plus is our segue to the next topic? Or should I go into this? So I'll go into this. First. Nice. All right. So so don't worry. For, if you tuned in for WandaVision, it's coming, folks. Don't worry. Um, so Amy Prohler is apparently the, the director and creative force behind this uh, upcoming Netflix movie called Moxie. And I should point out, I'm not the target demographic for this movie. Uh, Moxie is a uh, teen movie. It is uh, inspired by her mom's rebellious past and a confident new friend. A shy teenager publishes an anonymous zine calling out sexism at her school. And it was indeed directed by Amy Prohler, and it comes out March 3rd. I'm only, I can only evaluate this on the trailer. Mm-hmm. And it just struck me as the mo like the perfect fantasy of a resistance wine mom. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there should be a hashtag in there, but it, it's one of those things. Hashtag like, resistance wine mom. And let's point out, I am not a teenager. Uh, I have a teenager. I have another son who's not too far away from it. They're not in high school yet, but they're knocking on the door. And I'll, I should point out, uh, Mickey, this is a science fiction movie. It takes place in a world where high schools go to an actual school. <laughs> it's an alternate universe, Mickey. Teenagers actually go to a place called school. All right. Now I'll spare you my rant about the Authenticity Woods uh, school. Thank board. you. Thank right. you. Because it's not like we haven't, I haven't heard it every day, by the way. Yeah. Just because so, we aren't, just because I, I should tell you listeners, just because we aren't recording shows does not mean that I still am not privy to daily rants from Mr. Garrity about Authenticity Woods or anything else that happens yeah. to catch his fancy that day. Now, and, as you were saying, and I want to lead you in with this, we both watched WandaVision. I watched one episode, but I bet you watched more. So tell me about this and tell me what I'm supposed to get. Okay. So if you're confused after one episode, and I'm a little bit surprised you only watched one episode because uh, they released the first two together, almost as if they realized uh, people are going to be utterly confused after the first half hour of this. Uh, So the first half hour of, of WandaVision is very much a 50s sitcom, right? That's, um, 
very much out of the Donna Reed show or. Oh, absolutely. Yes, right. very much so. Um, like the, the TBS point, in the morning things they used to yes. air. To the point where apparently they consulted with Dick Van Dyke to get the paint scheme to look the way it looked when recorded on black and white. Like they, they wanted to get it perfectly oh, wow. authentic to every little detail. Second episode is uh, much more of a 60s style, maybe a little bit of Bewitched. Um, and then the third episode is very much in the vein of a 70s Brady Bunch, Partridge family. You know. And along the way, uh, so <clears throat> Mick, um, after the first episode, or how eager to watch more episodes were you? I was confused, but I'm going to keep watching. Okay. Because for what it is, it's a really good, you know, it's, it's not even a parody. It's like a tribute to each, you know, sitcom of, the, of this genre or of the decade. <clears throat> and there are little bits that explain that something's not quite right. Yeah. Uh, at the end of that first episode, they have a dinner party. It's a, it's a classic cliched storyline. The boss is coming over for dinner. Yes. And didn't prepare and all that kind of stuff. And there's a moment where the boss starts choking and things just take this very David Lynchian turn. Uh-huh. Mickey, I should begin. So it comes out on Friday. Each episode comes out on Friday. My sons and I, age 13 and ele- now 11, are loving it. This is as close as I can get them in the tone and style of Twin Peaks, in that it is very entertaining, but out of the blue, something will happen that just feels wrong and yes. ominous and doesn't fit with the rest of the show and just suggests that something is an illusion, something is being manipulated behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we should point out that, like, we, we know these characters from the Avengers movies of being superheroes, but they seem to be living the life of a suburban sitcom uh, uh, couple. Correct. <clears throat> Episode four explains a lot. Not everything, but you'll, you know, you, if you're, you know, if you, if, if at any point you're like, this is getting too weird, it's too much of a tribute to old, uh, old, old sitcoms, watch it through to episode four, and then you get a sense of what's going on, let's say, outside this town of Westview to explain how, a little bit of an explanation of how these characters got here. Um, we're up to episode seven. This week will be episode eight. Uh, this is probably the most enjoyable show on television I've seen in a long time. Oh, wow. In part because it is so... <clears throat> Marvel's done superhero TV shows before. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Daredevil. Um, they did a couple on whatever the... It's not this, uh, I'm trying to put up what... The Freeform or whatever that kind of stuff is. Mm-hmm. That have not really tied into the movies very much. Um, and they've kind of been doing their own thing. And they just seem like lower budget, you know... Yeah. Okay. No, nothing great. WandaVision is the first one that feels like you're watching a movie in an episodic format. Mm-hmm. And it's very well done, done production-wise. Yeah. And it's not straight up superheroics by any stretch. We're we're getting closer to it as the series progresses. It begins to feel a bit more like, okay, this is the villain. Okay, this is what the evil plot is. Okay, here's some of the you know, um, but it's fantastic because they basically said. We've got this crazy idea that is a tribute to classic television that also is kind of a psychological drama that also is a mystery and that we are going to keep hinting. Don't worry, all the good, you know, good versus evil superhero fights that you're used to expecting from Marvel. It's going to get there, but we're going to lead you in and create this kind of mysterious 
somewhat familiar, sometimes utterly bizarre, never quite knowing what's coming next tone. Um, and the cameo at the end of episode five. Yeah. Had me screaming at my television. And oh, wow. it was probably the, the biggest genuine surprise in terms of casting I've ever seen in in, 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 a, in, a, in a television show. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now I have to watch it. And it sounds yeah. like our listeners will probably have to give that a shot as well, um, because that feels like something I should definitely check out. I, I, I have to, I feel like now's a good time to tell you that I've started watching The Mandalorian. Oh, OK. What are you thinking of that? Um, as you guys know, I am not a Star Wars person. Um, I have only ever seen the first three movies and I have probably seen them all once. Um, so I don't know much about Star Wars. I don't know much about their universe. What I will tell you is I have thoroughly enjoyed The Mandalorian. Good. I think it is a lovely story about a little green child trying to get back to his home. I am so obsessed with Baby Yoda. Like, yes, I'm sure there are other things in the show that are very good as well. But it matters not because the minute they cut for that comedic <laughs> <laughs> scene and cut to the Baby Yoda, you've got me. Yeah, I'm they, there. They knew exactly what they were doing with that. Oh, genius. Creative. Just genius. Um, I feel like it gives it all, it gives the show a heart. Mm. Um, in a way that a lot of shows really seem to lack lately. And even though you never see his face, I think that it's kind of amazing how much he is able to emote um, mm. through that mask. Yep. Yep. Pedro voice. Pascal does a great job with voice acting in this. Body posture. Yep. All that yes. stuff tells, yes. tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. Um, so I'm very, I'm very impressed. I like it. Uh, we start, we're actually working our way through the thing that surprised me the most, I guess, is that the episodes were like half hour long. Yeah, so yeah. you're, you're Second through it. No time at all. Longer. Yeah. But I, I don't think they ever, I think they top out around 40 minutes or so. They don't, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, but yes, this, I, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, of course, now want a baby Yoda. I will, uh, we have one, by the way, if you ever want to, you know, come over and need to cuddle with one. We, we Aw, you're so sweet. You'll share your baby Yoda with me and don't yeah, you dare yeah. try to pretend it's for the boys. You can't I know better. better. You can't <laughs> better. Um, the, the, the observation that I think it might have been IO9 or somebody had the, was writing about how, it, it, it's very, particularly in season two, you will encounter other characters who are on probably the more classic Star Wars style uh, story who are are trying to save the galaxy, right? Who are who are on this grand quest to fix some sort of massive injustice or something like that. And how much the story of the Mandalorian is? No, I just need to protect this kid. That's it. That's the you know it, 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 what he kind of jokes that I just want to get my kid into a good preschool, you know? Right. Um, and how much he is not this grand hero with the fate of the universe in his hands, and you know trying to overthrow an empire or anything like that. The, the stuff that's very big, you know, that is traditional Star Wars and can be great. But, you know, the, the creators, uh, Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau kind of recognize it for this one. No, we're going with a much smaller scale, mm -hmm. personal scale story of a guy who was good at his job, but who needed to connect emotionally to someone or something. And who suddenly is given this duty of, the, of you know, this, this child ends up in his lap almost literally. And then connects to it and feels this obligation to protect it and to take care of it. A very hungry and, child. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> um, and it's, 
you know, and it's you know, and all of a sudden, like you know, like every every sigh of him, it's 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 the most dad show ever, right? This is you know, uh, and somebody had observed that like you know, we we parenthood is never really addressed in any of the other Star Wars movies, ironically. Right. Like they have you know, I am your father and all kinds of stuff, but we never see anybody being a parent. Whereas particularly in season two, mm-hmm. it is you know that that spaceship turns into a minivan. And, oh you know, yeah. Why are, why are you making a mess of my my car, kid? You know that kind of. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so Mandalorian is, you know, he lived up to the hype. Uh, I will make a real quick observation. So, you know, Gina Carano, are you up to her yet? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Word is she's been canned because of her tweets. That's being ridiculous. Don't like cancel culture. Didn't really like what she tweeted, but it seems kind of ridiculous to get rid of her over that. This is where you, you know, 50 lashes with a net wet noodle. Stop making controversy on social media, you know. Um, we, you know, one of those things where like, the the idea of uh, and they were supposed to give her her own show and there were all these spinoffs they were going to do and all kind of stuff. Um, it seems kind of bizarre uh, that you could have this phenomenal success by Disney. They're the most popular. Oh, you know, and the other the other theory, of course, is that Gina Carano is a pawn in this battle over the future of Star Wars at Disney. Mm. That you know Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau have done such a phenomenal success with the Mandalorian that is pleasing so many fans, it's actually embarrassing Kathleen Kennedy and mm. the people who made the, the sequel series of movies that in the end, it's like, Oh, you guys went off and you know, whether you want to say it was political or just bad storytelling instincts, whatever, mm-hmm. however you want to attribute to this non success of the, 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 the fan reaction to the sequel trilogy, not being what they hoped it was going to be. Right. That, that now it's like, Oh, there are some forces within Luke's film or within Disney who are like, Oh, we got to take down the Mandalorian because it's, it's getting too good. It's making everybody else look mm. bad. Kind of the most interesting theory. So it, it's safe to say, yes, Mandalorian is the best Star Wars, uh, uh, you know, product to come along in, in quite some time. So. I'm very happy with it. I'm I find myself very amused. I love, as I said, I love the Baby Yoda, and it surprised me that I liked it as much as I did because, as I said, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not a big fan of of Star Wars and things of that nature. And uh, so I, I was pleasantly surprised. I was very pleasantly surprised. And I'm enjoying it. We're not the whole way through season two yet, um, but but we are working our way through now. And so that was really good. One of the things, um, while we're still on TV, that I wanted to throw in here, and it's just real quick. Um, I picked up Discovery Plus because, of course, I did because they have Discovery ID on there, and now I can watch true crime all the time. Um, and they hid some of my favorite true crime shows there behind the paywall now, so mm-hmm. I had no choice. Um, but there were a lot of really pleasant surprises in there, and I wanted to actually just share two real quick ones um, because I feel like if somebody has got it and they aren't sure what to check out, this is certainly one that I thought was hilarious. On the HGTV channel, there's like comedians on couches, yeah. very very similar to the people's couch. If you remember me telling you guys about that, where it was just normal people watching TV, and you're watching them watch TV, and it sounds weird, but it's actually really funny. Only like in this science theater 3000 or kind of a little because they're commenting and but it goes back and forth. And in this particular case, they're they've got comedians that are watching House Hunters. <laughs> and so it's episodes of House Hunters and them commenting along with it. It's hilarious, like laugh out loud funny. Um, so I highly recommend that. And then um, to those of you who may or may not know this, Mike Rowe has a new show on Discovery Plus. Um, it's not available anywhere else, 
but it's called Six Degrees of Mike Rowe. And much like all of the other shows that he does, it's very well done. I kind of don't like the Six Degrees angle that he uses. Um, however, still a great show. Still like exceptionally entertaining and educational at the same time. So definitely check that one out as well. Okay. Um, it's interesting because am I there, there? There are a lot of people in our political world who are huge Mike Rowe fans. Right? Uh, I think I've seen him speak once or twice over at the Coke Winter meetings and stuff like that. But I don't think Mike Rowe sets out to be particularly political. Political. No, not at all. Uh, he, you know, so the, so the interesting question is, does he like? Do you, as you say, this is only available on this one uh, subscriber-based thing or something like that? Like, he seems like the kind of guy who should be bigger than he is. Am I wrong? Um, I think that he has a probably very comfortable life doing what he wants. Um, and I think that if the more you learn about Mike Rowe, the more you realize he's a very complex individual. Mm. Um, there's a lot to him. Um, he has a very interesting background and I could be wrong, but I believe he can sing opera or something. Really? Yeah. Like there's a lot of really crazy things. I have not seen him do that. That's pretty, uh, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of really interesting things and I can't remember all of them about him, but he's, there's a lot to him. You know, he's had a lot of sponsorships over the year. He has his podcast, which he's had going. Um, so I suspect he lives very comfortably. Yeah. Yeah, maybe this is, maybe he's at you know working at a, a pace he likes and that he's comfortable and that uh, you know all is uh, all is well with it. I, I hope so. He certainly seems like a about as as likable a persona, and I, I always kind of liked the jobs, but the concept of it. And I think when you know, I guess when he like, when he was speaking, you talked about the um, his lesson that like there are like. There are certain people who are like, oh, my God, can you imagine having to you know, dig ditches all day? And yet there are certain people where at the end of the day, if you dig ditches, you look at it and you're like, well, you see that ditch? I dug that. Right. There, there's, right. This, there's a visible and tangible sense of accomplishment that mm-hmm. isn't always there in more in the quote, 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 unquote, knowledge, knowledge economy jobs. Where right. You're like, well, I moved I moved around a lot of electrons today. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, exactly. And again, I think it's the idea of you can actually see the work that you have done. Yeah. And but yeah, uh, but yeah so that's a really interesting show. Not as focused on like as dirty jobs type at all. This is focused much more on history and innovation throughout the years. Um, so that, like I said, um, very different for him. But I liked it a lot. Still the storyteller style. I think he still has the same outfits that he had for the previous show. Um, real quick. Are you on Clubhouse? I haven't even discussed this with you. Okay, so I am not, and I'm very disinclined, although I've heard at least one or two listeners say uh, to this and other podcasts that I do say, oh, you guys definitely should be doing this. And I'm just Mm kind of like, all right, so here's it. It's basically almost like a phone call, right? Except everybody can listen in. Kind of. But here's the thing. I I am on Clubhouse now and I've been spending some time lurking and trolling. And, you know, it's funny because I also have had listeners say that we should do it. And you know what? They might not be wrong. And here's why. Okay. One of the things that most people don't realize about our show is that the way that we record it, we don't do a lot of editing. We just do it live and record it live because we want it to sound that way. In the well, words of the immortal Bill O'Reilly, we'll do it live. Yes, every time, um, because that's how we roll. 
Now, that the way Clubhouse is set up is that there are different rooms, we'll call them, chat rooms, if you will, okay? And there are different people who set up these chat rooms, and there are different topics for each of the chat rooms. And you can go in, and the people who are hosting the chat rooms will have speakers, and it could be different topics from politics to sports to anime to, I mean, you name it, really. Um, any type of topic, you can start a room with one other person and if other people want to join you. So I ultimately ended up listening to several different, as I've been lurking around, um, some on politics, some on sports, as you can imagine. And one of the more interesting ones um, I listened to was actually on trauma and PTSD, and it was people talking about their experiences. And it was at that moment when I realized that this could have a real benefit, not just obviously, yes, I think we should probably do one for our listeners. I think it would be fun. Um, but I think that there actually might be a real benefit to Clubhouse because while all other social media is very much about, you know, getting followers and getting likes and hearts and whatever else other crap people do with this, they're ac you're actually speaking to real people. Um, it's not... It's not the same as quite the keyboard exchange that you get. So it's a little more intimate feeling. Mm -hmm. The rooms um, at this point anyway, have not gotten overwhelmingly large because it's my understanding it's still like in beta or whatever. But, you know, I've been in rooms where there's, you know, maybe a thousand people, maybe 300 people. And most people aren't talking. They're just sitting there listening. And so in a weird way, I feel like it gives people a way to connect with other people and certainly different interests. But it's it's a way like for someone like us to do it, we wouldn't necessarily do obviously an educational program, but we could literally do a live podcast show and it wouldn't be a podcast, but a live clubhouse show and invite our listeners to come to the room, listen and interact with us so they could ask questions. It's much more live than, than what a traditional. Do you keep people in like a listen only mode until you're ready or? Yes, like you can you the, I, it's my understanding anyway that you can control like people can put their hand up if they have okay, a question. Okay, cuz I was going to say that seemed like a uh Yeah, I, right? The idea yeah, of you don't like have a party line where everybody's talking at once, you know. No, and good lord, if I'm on it, you know that I would be doing all the talking over. I talk <laughs> over you constantly. However, um it doesn't have that situation like you can raise your hand, you can quietly leave and you can kind of as I have been doing just kind of bounce from room to room listening to different things. Um I went into a hip hop chat room the other night and just sat and listened to people talk about, you know, talk about different artists and things that I should be listening to and you know, it, again, I found it to be interesting, a fascinating new style of social media that in a weird way combines like the old blog talk radio mm. where people used to be able to kind of call in and interact um, with the host. Whereas now you can actually just go into the room and interact with the people within that room. And it's very, very simple technology, rel really easy to use. I think that it might actually be one of the more beneficial social media sites that I've heard of in a really long time. So I wanted to mention that and just kind of see what your thoughts or what you had heard about it. Well, I'd heard from the New York Times that it was dangerously unregulated. <laughs> And that there was there no are way a to, lot of people talking without people telling them what the day. Yeah, the, 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 it, you know, it was becoming increasingly hard to catch people 
in saying the kinds of things that can get them canceled. And that was unacceptable from the mm. point of view of that uh, notorious New York Times correspondent. Um, so I, I guess there was a part of me that was curious about what it could add that existing formats could not. Interaction. Uh, interaction, okay. Um, it, absolutely the interaction aspect of it because it's almost like taking podcasting to the next level and putting it all on one platform well i am intrigued um i will jokingly say you know mickey you've always been much more interested in listening to people than i am <laughs> uh, that's not know, joking it, at all <laughs> Well, you know, generally there's this, you know, like if you uh, we're woken up to comments and then you look at the comments section of any website and, you know, that maybe you'll find a couple of good ones in the diamonds in the rough, so to speak. But there is a lot that's not, uh, uh, you know, you know, you open it up to comments. Maybe it's the fact that so it's it's your own voice, right? Yes. Maybe people are a little better behavior when they're when they have to say the words out loud themselves. Well, that's why I think it has benefit. There are no comment sections. Hmm. You can't just chat like you have to engage. And so therefore, I do think it has benefits. And like I said, specifically, um, you know, obviously, we've all become much more familiar with doing video conferencing and things of that nature throughout the pandemic. But specifically, the idea of having experts and doctors and interesting people on in these chat clubhouse chat rooms where you could just go and listen. I mean, that, that's a pretty interesting opportunity. Mm. Well, I am intrigued. I, I cannot say that uh, uh, I, I, w- I will. I'm not dismissing it out of hand, which is a really big step for me. I, I'm rarely a, an early adopter of uh, uh, of technologies like this. So. I, well, it's funny because I almost always have an account on one of these new technologies. It's just very, very rare that you will hear me say, oh, I like this one. <laughs> <laughs> and so I felt like it was worth mentioning that I do like this one. Um, and so I, I, you know, again, if you're on Clubhouse, feel free to find me there. I know you're gonna be shocked by this, but I am at bias girl there, just like I am on Twitter. Um, so feel free to hit me up there as well. And, uh, it, you know, it's been a crazy, crazy winter. Jim and I are trying desperately to try to get to talk to you guys more often. Maybe Clubhouse will allow for that. Maybe that's something we can consider. Um, and that will allow us to kind of have a um, a more frequent and easy way to set up and talk to you guys and have some interaction. And, uh, and Lord knows, there was one more thing. Mm-hmm. Apparently, our girl Gwyneth, I think I sent ah. you the article. Um, as we're all waiting for the pandemic to wind down and COVID to go away, our girl Gwyneth apparently has already come up with a solution. She's taking a little heat. Involve sticking things in a hoo-ha or eggs or whatever it was. Dude, every every comment that I saw under it was like she's steaming her hoo-ha again, isn't she? <laughs> um, but no, she she is getting into trouble though because she was recommending some herbal remedies and things of that nature because of course she did because that's what Gwyneth does. And uh, and and we thank her for it. We thank her for all of the material that she provides us. There was no, one. There was one more thing I wanted to talk. No, not even not even a little bit. No, no. She she is nothing but pure content. We could probably do a show just on her. Um, over the course of what she does and what Goop does, I feel like we could probably do one of like a drama show just for that. 
like the the entire world of like healing natural oils and crystal waving and all that kind of stuff like that's really like a hop skip and a jump away from you know anti-vaxxer bill so we really should be that <laughs> no but of course <laughs> i love how you lump everything together <laughs> Because some things, some things are good in the mix. Like there are some things that are. I'm not a crystals person, but there are people who like certain oils and that you know and sage burning and things of that nature. But somehow I just cannot picture you doing that. And for whatever reason, when you said that, that was immediately the image that popped into my head. <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say I don't know. I don't know if anyone I personally know is into healing crystals. Well, I'm trying to imagine you with like a crystal around your neck. Um, and obviously, you know, just you dressed as you normally are. And then we're going to add the crystal around your neck. going to put like, I'm going to put a dream catcher behind you in your profile picture in my head. And I think I'll add like you holding one of those sage uh, smudges that's lit and so you're just kind of smudging the room around you um that is something that i've never thought about before and now <laughs> amuses me you know this is a, the the only time i get close to that is ash wednesday that's that's <laughs> the only thing i'm going to find the uh the other observation i'm going to throw out here uh and this is the, you know this is i realize the show has run long but this seems like this seems like classic t james t, t james fodder so mickey i'm trying to eat healthier i've actually mm -hmm. made some progress since the beginning of the year and the first thing if you give me a choice i'd like to have half and half in my coffee okay mrs campaign spot has observed this is not good for me and i should try to avoid <laughs> so for a long time i was having milk and milk is okay you know but, mm -hmm. but half and half it's got that cream Mm -hmm. So I started looking for every conceivable um, non-dairy, slightly better for you option, including mm -hmm. non-fat half and half. Which, you know, I, considering how half of half of half and half is supposed to be milk fat, I'm how not can you sure have a non-fat half and half? How how is that even possible? Right? It really should just be called half. That's right. <laughs> milk is what they yeah. can call it. Yeah. This, wait a minute, this is just milk in a different container. Yeah. Um, so I've tried the almond milk. I've tried the oat milk. Uh, there's one that's not that bad. Coconut. Uh, well, there's one or two that's not like that are acceptable. But a lot of these, I feel like they're made by people who have never tasted actual half and half. Right. And thus they found a white liquid. Like, mm, well, this looks like half and half. It must be good. <laughs> and this is how you got the guy at the Super Bowl doing his milk for humans. You know, like, you know, that guy. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm yelling at my television saying, it does not taste like half and half. Stop mm -hmm. lying to me. Yeah. Nothing but lies. An acceptable substitute. And it is fewer calories and all that kind of stuff. You did find something? Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, anyway, all of them I would say are acceptable substitutes. I'm not saying that I don't spit it out as soon as I get it. Um, oh, well, that's good. I will tell you what I use because you guys all know I have to avoid sugar, right? Um, and so there is a sugar-free Italian cream, like cremate type thing that you pour into mm -hmm. it. Delicious. Oh, okay. Uh, Kidu Super Creamer is what I have found most similar to half and half. And the Trader Joe's fat-free half and half is okay, although I suspect it really is just milk. But I <laughs> so are you thinking of doing the Kato? 
I'm kind of doing that. Um, all you know, the, the in terms of yeah, avoiding starches, breads, pastas. Doesn't sugar, everyone do that now? Everything good. You know, I've I've cut back on beer. I've cut back on hard liquor. Yeah, it's. It's it rough. sucks, but it's making progress, and it's healthy, and my doctor's happy with me. So. Oh, well, you know, and that's what is important, and I'm glad that you are getting healthier, and I'm sure our listeners are glad about that as well. And I actually saw somebody, um, someone sent it to me a text, and I shared it in a tweet earlier today, and it said, after being through a plague and pandemic, I now understand why all the Renaissance women were li- chubby women laying around with their <laughs> boob hanging out. And I was like, yep. That pretty much covers it. Picturing Goya right now, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly, I think now's the time everyone's kind of looking like, oh no, I have to put clothes back on soon. I'm yeah, not going to get away with your transition. In the, yeah. The right. Then the months to come, it's going to be a weird transition. We will, of course, be here for you listeners as much as possible. And if I can get Jim on the clubhouse, we will definitely get a room set up so that we can do a chat there. Um, and that's one of those things we could definitely do more frequently because they're relatively easy to pop on and do. So we definitely want to hear your feedback about that. Please do feel free because you know we're terrible at Facebook. Um, we're great at Twitter, though. And you can find me at Bias Girl. You can find him at Jim Garrity. Uh, Jim, did you have anything to add to the show today? No, that this right, we're we're now well beyond our usual time for this. I so just this realized like we went way over our time, but um, but I wanted to make sure since it had been such a long time since we've talked to each other and to our listeners together, it felt like I should ask just to clarify. But it has been an amazing show. We've covered a ton of ground as usual. You can, as I said, find us on Twitter. We look forward to any of your conversations, insight, comments. Please do go ahead and like and subscribe the show wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can find us at iTunes. You can find us at SoundCloud and at any of the podcatchers. So once again, you are listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey show.